I think one of the things that I love the most about our church is just how talented uh, people are and how they give their talents to, to the Lord. And what's special is, man, the talent that these guys have uh, to lead us in style and in, in, in worship. Uh, what's really awesome is the talent it takes to make this video and, and these graphics. They're all people here in our church. Um, and the guy in the video is super talented, uh, not just his acting skills. That's, that's good. Hey, so I, I have this fear of mine. Uh, and the fear is that we as a church are missing it. Uh, not like, not, not restore church, although that's probably my biggest fear. But my, my fear is that the church, the church, the whole church as a whole is that we're missing it. That we're making it, that we're making this about something that was never intended to be. Uh, Aaron and I and, and our family, we lived in New Bern for a year before moving down here. Um, do you, if you need a Bible, uh, so we got some volunteers who are eagerly waiting to pass out a Bible, and I don't want them to make them stand for too long. If you need a Bible, uh, it's going to be this same Bible I'm holding. Uh, if you need one, uh, just go ahead and, and throw your hand up. Look, we want that to be your Bible. We want you to have it. It's our gift to you. Uh, take it home, study. We've got one right down here, uh, a few down here. All right. Uh, if not, you can follow along on our app or the YouVersion Bible app uh, under the events. You can search Restore Church, and you can see all of my notes right there. So, um, or all of our notes together. So that, that year in New Bern, uh, what we were trying to do is to put together a plan uh, to launch a new church in Jacksonville. I didn't know much about church planting, but I knew that it was going to be a lot of work. And I was telling someone this, this morning that I was wrong because it actually required more than what I thought it was going to be. So what we did was we spent a year in New Bern uh, at a church called Two Rivers Church. I was the church planting resident there, and we were just uh, I was learning and just being immersed in church planting. But then it kind of came time t- to put a team together, and that's intimidating. Because our church at the time consisted of four people, me, my wife, uh, my four-year-old, and my two-year-old. That right there is an awesome church by itself. But we needed more awesome people. And so uh, we needed, I knew that I couldn't do this alone. And so we needed a staff. And so uh, God was speaking to Kendra and Corey, who Kendra runs our village, um, at the same time, he's speaking to me, and we're not weird, like, not talking about, like, God coming out of the clouds, but, you know, just through prayer and, and what's next for your life or whatever. And so it just all aligned. And so we asked Corey and Kendra to come be a part of, of our team here in Jacksonville. They were crazy enough to say yes, and they spent their first year in marriage uh, doing this crazy chaotic thing of starting a new church. So what we had them do is, hey, would you guys come down to New Bern uh, and spend a day with us? Actually, it was a day that I learned this this morning, that Corey put the down payment, deposit, whatever it's called, on her engagement ring. Aw, I know, so sweet. So anyway, they come down, and we're just going to spend some time, you know, hanging out, getting to, like, getting to know each other more, uh, and drinking coffee, because that's what we do. And uh, 
So they text me for my address. No problem. 3718 Elizabeth Avenue, New Bern. Can't remember the zip code, but come on down, right? Can't wait to have you. Aaron's making something in the kitchen that smells awesome. Can't wait for you to get here. Text us when you're close. Okay, so they're about, I don't know, five minutes away. Newburn's not big. It's easy to get around. And so uh, they text, hey, we're about five minutes away. And I text back, stop texting while you're driving. That's irresponsible. So we open, we go to our, our front door, open the big door, leave the storm door or screen door, whatever you call it, open. In the south, that means come on in, right? Right. So uh, 371A Elizabeth Avenue, they'll be here in five minutes. So we're sitting back, we're waiting, we're chilling, looking at each other, making jokes, waiting for Corey and Kendra to get here. Five minutes turns into like seven minutes. All right, maybe they're slow drivers, defensive drivers, very careful. Seven minutes turns into ten minutes. Maybe they went to uh, McDonald's. I don't know why anyone would go to McDonald's, but maybe they did. Ten minutes turns into 15 minutes. Now I'm concerned. So I text them, hey, maybe I'm thinking maybe the address didn't come through that text message. So I text back, hey, address 3817, see you when you get here. They got to our house in about two minutes after that. And so they walk in, you know, we, they park on the curb, we go get all their stuff, we pull it, bring it in, it's like, y'all, I thought we were five minutes away. And they said, yeah, we were, we were five minutes away from 3718 Elizabeth Avenue, which is the address you gave us, but it's the wrong address. Your address is 3817. And I'm like, ha ha. Hmm, you know, we got mixed numbers. No, no big deal. Ho, ho, ho. So in the South, when you open up your big door and leave the screen door open, it means come on in. So they pull up to 3718, and they have the big door open and the screen door closed, which means come on in. So Corey and Kendra walk in the wrong dude's house. Look, no kidding. They walk in, and they look at him. <laughs> and he's yelling at his dog, like, stop barking at them, but you should be because they're strangers. But, and they're just like, oh, I think we're in the wrong house. And he said, yeah, I think you are. <laughs> uh, my, my fault, my bad. <laughs> 3817. Man, missing the mark uh, can be embarrassing. Especially if you do it with so much excitement and so much vigor that you just walk right in. Look, I'm really afraid for the church. The church as a whole. And like I said, I'm afraid for Restore Church. That we might be missing it. We might be headed with, with all of our energy and all of our excitement toward the wrong address. And the thing that scares me is that we as Christians might be taking it so serious, like we got the gas pedal down, and we as individuals, as Christ followers, might be headed toward the wrong, toward the wrong address. I, w- I just want to show you, are any like nerds in here? It's okay to raise your hand. Uh, okay, we're going to nerd out a little bit. We're going to look at some statistics. Then we're going we're gonna to switch it up from math class. We're going to walk down the hall in the English. Okay, so just hold on here. I want to show you some statistics that uh, some church planning gurus put out. I never thought I'd use the word guru before in a sermon, but here it is. In 1900, there were 27 churches for every 10,000 Americans. You can see them right there. 
1950, 50 years later, there were 17 churches for every 10,000 Americans. Another 50 years later, there were 12 churches for every 10,000 Americans. And in 2000, um, 2004, when this was taken, there were 11 churches for every 10,000 Americans. Now, this, this is 14 years old. I, I want you to survey over the last 14 years and, th- and just think about our culture. Do you think the church is advancing? Like, do you think this trend stopped? I don't think so. We're losing. What's, what's also interesting is the, the amount of churches is decreasing, but our population is increasing. We're losing. We're closing churches, and our bigger churches are getting bigger and bigger. And that's okay. Listen, I don't want to hear, hear anything wrong about big churches. They're, part, they're on our team. Big churches are getting bigger, but we're, we're losing ground, y'all. Well, I think the church is missing the mark. And I think you can see it here, too. So Paul is going to write a letter to a church that's going, that is missing the mark. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to find 1 Corinthians First uh, Corinthians, it's on page, if you got one of these orange fancy Bibles, Restore Sponsored Bibles, it's on page 779. You're welcome. Uh, if not, and you're just going to be fancy, you can use the app. I got the new iPhone, I guess not new anymore. It's creepy that it sees my face, but it's lucky. <laughs> All right, I thought that was funny. That was really funny, because I can't hear you when you laugh up here. I heard you laugh at that one. That was good. All right, so we're in Corinthians. I just want to give you a little background about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is messed up. The church itself has taken on the form of the culture around it. The town, the city of Corinth is no- <clears throat> My tongue got stuck. That was weird. <laughs> it's known for its, its immorality, especially its sexual immorality. I mean, if you were in the temple courts, you looked up and you saw a temple for Aphrodite. Have you heard of Aphrodisiac, right? Like, so the, the, the goddess of sex is right here. You're, you're like shopping for fruit and you turn around and, and it's right there. Like you're with your kids and you're trying to keep their eyes covered from, I mean, I'm serious. This is what it's, it's like. And so Paul's right into this, this church that's three years old. And that's going to mean something to us in a minute. And that he had a hand in starting and planting, okay? And, and Paul's tone through the letter. Remember we talked about sometimes when you read, you got to look for the tone of, of what Paul's trying to say, like how he's trying to say it. Last week we looked at Philippians. He's got this loving, like uh, uh, nurturing tone. In Corinthians, it's not that. He's angry. And so he writes to his friends, this church that he planted, um, so, like I said, it, it's, it's sexually immoral church. Uh, if you're reading through it, the Bible's real. It doesn't hide its flaws, uh, meaning that there's, there's someone in this church who's having sex with his stepmother. I was surveying for children. Uh, he's having sex with his stepmother. And Paul's like, what? what? This is disgusting. <laughs> like, you've got your nose up at it. So did he. Paul, at one point in Corinthians, says, I'm embarrassed that I even baptized any of you. Right? Like, he's angry. 
the church, the city of Corinth actually had its own verb. And what it meant was like sexually crazy. It was Corinthismai, to be sexually crazy outside of marriage. So Paul's like, he lists these things. He's like, I want you to have sex. (coughs) My tongue got stuck. (laughs) In the bounds of marriage, (laughs) the way God designed it to be. You didn't let me finish. Uh, and he's, he talks about some other things. All right, we need to move on before I, before I blush a little bit. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to read. All right, so we got the context of the whole letter of Corinthians, and this is what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Ouch. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, he's not talking about real food, obviously. He's talking about spiritual food. He says, indeed, now you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being human? Are, are you not mere human beings? Um. So he, he, he writes this, and he says, look, look, all those things I talked about, all of those immoralities in, in, the, in the community, and what Paul addresses here in chapter 3, now he addresses those things later in the book, but what Paul addresses here, why does he call them worldly? Not for those things that we listed, but because they're divided. They're not together. You guys are quarreling? Jealousy among you? Y'all, that's childish stuff. I I expected more from you. And so this church that's three years old is now missing the mark. Three years old old is important. Actually, now, even still in 2018, three years old seems to be the point that churches start to miss the mark. I'll show you right here. Churches that are eight, all right, here we go. Let's get nerdy. Fifth churches that are 15 years or older. You guys know what I'm talking about. They're 15 years or older. For every 100 members of their church, they have one and a half baptisms per year. Everyone following me? So that would mean that if you counted, Every 66th person is what has been baptized, right? And we thank God for every single person who comes to know Jesus. It doesn't matter how many go to their church, okay? But for 15 years or older, one and a half for every 100 members. So that's every 66.6th person. I really t- should have took that third six off so we wouldn't have 666 on our... You all were thinking it. All right. Churches that are 3 to 15 years have five baptisms per 100 members. So that means every 20th person, that's pretty great, every 20th person, right? Every 20th person is baptized. It changes at three years. Because three years and under, it's 10 baptisms per 100 members. That's every 10th person. That rocks. I mean, that is incredible to have every 10th person in your church come to know Jesus. Do you see where it cuts in half? 
It's at the three-year mark. I don't think it's coincidence that Paul is writing to this church that's missing the mark that's three years old, and that in the American church we're three years old, our distractions just look different. Like in our churches, I'm going to meddle a little bit. In our churches, we just want to get bigger. Right? We want to have all these buildings, and we want to have bigger budgets, and we want to have more people in our seats. Like it's all about an empire. We want to we wanna be bigger than the church down the road. We want to be better than the church that you came from. Right? Like that's the American church. And I, I have to say American church because in every other culture, it's not about size. You know what in every other culture it's about? It's about this number in the parentheses. How many people are coming to know Jesus? I don't care how big your church is. Dude, I love being a part of Restore Church. We've, we've existed for a little bit over a year. I'm about to show you numbers, but before I do, I want you to know that at Restore Church, it's not about, it's not about our attendance. We, we don't care about uh, how many members well, we care about what's in this parentheses. Can I, so this is not a prideful thing, and I'll explain this even further in a little bit. I want to show you how awesome Restore Church is. Go to that next slide. In our first year, our attendance was 130. We had 34 baptisms. It's every fourth person. Dude, every fourth person here has given their life to Jesus and decided to be baptized. It's so normal here. <laughs> It is so refreshing to be a part of a church where life change is happening all the time. Dude, we can't start missing the mark. Let's not start getting about us because it's not about restore. Let's not, let's not start talking about uh, when are we going to build our first building. <laughs> Honestly, I hope we never build a building. Like, I hope one day we build a community center that people use six days a week, and then I hope that Josh is still up here complaining that we have to set up every week. <laughs> sorry, Josh, wherever you are. Sorry, not sorry. I hope that I'm still, like, I, I, I hope that uh, I'm 50 years old, still carrying this stupid snake around. It's not a real snake, but the thing that connects all this stuff. I, I hope and pray to God that's still the issue. Because here's the thing is we want to be about this city, not about a building. We, we don't want to be about how big we are. We want to be about life change. We want to change this world. Like the world we live in, we want to change Jacksonville so that our world will change around it. All right, none of that was scripted, so we need to move. All right, here we go. So what is the mark? What is the mark? All right, let's take a little trip down the English class. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 to 20. I got verses 19 to 20. Verse 18 says all Jesus is talking to his disciples. So here's some context. I'm going to talk fast because we got to roll. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. It's the last thing he's going to say to them before he sees them when they die and come to heaven, okay? So the last words, and this is what Jesus says to them. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, verse 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. All right. So, there are these things called participles. Everybody know what a participle is? Okay, cool. Let me tell you what a participle is. Um, go to the store. While you're going, 
or go to the store, driving slow, watching where you're going, being careful. So the main verb, you got to have a main verb in every sentence. And so in that, in that sentence, it was drive to the store. The participles are the other verbs, usually ending in ing, that support the main verb. We all following? I explained that extremely clear, and I'm really surprised. So drive to the store, being careful, watching where you're going, and I forgot the example. You see what I'm saying, though? So there's a main verb, and then participles are like supporting verbs that tell you how to do the, the main verb. There's one main verb here in, in verse 19. And it's not go. It's make. Jesus says, I want you to make disciples. You want to, if you looked at the original language, so we're getting all of this information from the original language, the main verb is make. You want to know what the participles are? Going. You can see the other two. What are the other two verbs, I-N-G? Be 100% sure, don't embarrass yourself. Baptizing and teaching. What we've done as a culture is we've left this verb, or this, these verses, to missionaries and to pastors. We're like, dude, you've, you've got the gift of speaking in front of people, so you, you go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. We'll leave that up to you. Oh, you've got this call to go to Africa and work in orphanages. Awesome. You're carrying out the Great Commission. Oh, you've got this calling on your life to go to Mexico and build houses. Awesome. You're carrying out the Great Commission. You know who Jesus told this to? It wasn't a group of missionaries. It wasn't a group of people with Bible college degrees. It was people who called themselves Christians. We call them disciples, followers of Jesus. So what I'm going to say is, this is for you and me. This is for normal people. So who, who's this for? Who, who is, is this first for? Look to your left and look to your right. And then realize that, some, that people looked at you twice. It's not their responsibility to make disciples while going and baptizing and teaching. It's yours. And I, I think it's time for us to get back on the mark. And I think it's time for us to, um, <clears throat> to start running after this. Francis Chan, who's uh, an awesome teacher of God's word, he wrote a book called Multiply. And he says this, a disciple is someone who goes, baptizes, and teaches. Are you a disciple of Jesus? He goes, baptizes, and teaches. Uh, One of my favorite authors, and he's becoming a friend of mine, his name is Jim Putman, and he says this about the church. Well, he was talking about church unity, and he said, we're all unified when we're on the same mission. Um, All right, this might hit a little, this might hit a home with you. We were at CCYC uh, in February, okay, and the guy's talking about racism in church, or racism in in our culture. And uh, this sermon's not about this, but th- this is what he says. He says, there's two places that racism cannot exist. And uh, the one is, is on the battlefield. 
All right, now I've never been, and I'm not claiming that I know what that's like, okay? So, so that we're all serious for a moment, I don't know what that's like. And uh, my hat goes to you guys, my hearts and prayers for people who, who have seen that. All right, very serious about that. This guy hasn't either who said this, but he said it doesn't exist. When you and I raise up arms and we're, and we're shooting or aiming at, at, uh, at our opponent, I don't care what color you are. We're on the same team. And then he said the other place it doesn't exist is in the end zone. Because once we've celebrated a win, it doesn't matter what color we are. We've won. I believe those things to be true. But I also believe, the, I, I believe them to be more true about the mission of Jesus Christ. I believe them to be true for you and I. Like if we're on the same team, we're unified. If we're in the battlefield, look, you and I, like we work, right? And we're trying to make disciples right where we are. We don't have time to criticize each other. We don't have time to point fingers. We don't have time to gossip because we're on the same team. And then when we celebrate, it doesn't matter who gets the credit, right? You ever seen a, a, a running back, he'll, he'll score a touchdown, and then he'll give the ball to his lineman to make a fool of himself and try to spike it? <laughs> you know, like that's what it's all about here. Jim Putman is writing about that idea, and he says this about unity in the church. He says the church belongs to Christ when it's Christ's mission and Christ's method. The church does not belong to Jesus when it becomes about itself. It belongs to Jesus when it becomes about loving God and loving other people. So, go, baptize, teach. It's not meant for ministers and missionaries. It's meant for everybody. All right, so some real quick questions. We're going to finish this thing up kind of quickly. Do the people you work with, if you're a Christian, do the people you you work with know you're a Christian? For some of us, they don't. For some of you, they can't tell. All right, man up. Put your big boy pants on and choose a side. Jesus has no time for people who are just straddling the fence. He, he actually says it. He says, it's either, it's either a Christ follower or you're not. I mean, there's some room in trying to figure things out, right? But once you claim to be a Christ follower, you're all in. So, so why, don't you, why don't you start to act like it if your coworkers don't know you're a Christian? If they do know you're a Christian. Um, because it's like, yeah, 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 they all know I'm a, I'm a Christian. Um, can you and do you have a relationship with lost people enough to invite them over for dinner? The lost people that you're working with, can you invite them over for dinner? And if you say yes, then do it. All right. Uh, it's easy. It's grilling out time. Okay. At least I think it's probably going to snow next Thursday. Look, we we got to be serious about getting back on the mission. Right. Going to the right address. And going 100 miles an hour for the Great Commission. All right, this is, this is, uh, this is a um, sobering verse for me right here. So Paul keeps writing. We're still in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is what he says in verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? The other guy, right? And what is Paul? Driving me crazy because real English would say, and who is Paul? But whatever. Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his own task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. 
So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, they have one purpose. And they'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. Check out verse 9. If you have your own Bible, if you're highlighting it or underlining it, if you're using the app, it's real easy just to click it and highlight. Verse 9 says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building, he says. After reading those verses, who's all this about? It's, is it about the, the waterer? Is it about the planter? And he's not talking about church planting. He's talking about planting a, a plant, but it's still the same. Who's, who's it about? It's about God, right? It's not even about restore, which I think restore is pretty sweet. It's not even about restore. Here's the thing. Once you become a Christian, it's not even about you. It's about loving God relentlessly and loving people recklessly and then loving this world radically. So here's what I want to ask you. We're going to ask just some real quick questions. Oh, looked at the next slide, and it's grammatically incorrect. I'm sorry. <clears throat> we'll blame it on someone else. I don't know. Um, so here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to get serious with me. Because I think that if you and I become co-laborers with Christ, you and I can become world changers. Cliche, yeah, but it can be true. You and I can change the world. If the 110 people who are in this room, whatever, if we got serious about being co-workers with Christ... Y'all, we can change this city. I believe it. One friend at a time, one home at a time, one workplace at a time, you and I can change, change where we live. Um, and so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to ask you to be, become a world changer with me. But we've got to change our mind. we got to change our mind. So here's, real quickly, here's three things that we've got to change our minds about. Number one, world changers, we've got to get our satisfaction from God's glory nowhere else. You have got to find satisfaction not in stuff, not in people, but in God. I struggle with this. I find satisfaction in high church attendance, making sure church functions go well, and people come to know Jesus, right? What if for the rest of my life I share the gospel of Jesus with everybody and no one comes to know Jesus? Like, I'm going to be disappointed. But what if after I die, two of those people, like, like oh, I remember what that, that, uh, bearded guy said that one time I'm in like it's not about how big our church is although sometimes man I, I like my I told you this last week this is something I'm kind of wrestling with but um it's hard for pastors to separate their identity from the success of their church right and and, and y'all seriously we're big babies because it goes week to week like one week after Easter, you should have been talking to me. I was like the best dude in the world. And then the next week, we had like one of our lowest attendances ever. And I'm like, oh, great, great. Just, uh, just let Bowen teach. He just might as well be the preacher at Restore Church. He would probably do a pretty good job, y'all. I'm not kidding. Though. It's not about the planter. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the worship music. It's not about your preferences or my preferences. Here's, here's the mission, is that God gets the glory. That people in their lives will say, I want to make God first. 
can you make that the mission of your life? Is to find people who are far from God or who think they're close to God and get them to a point where they're saying, man, God is first in my life. We can change the world if we do that. When our satisfaction comes from God's glory. Here's one cool thing about being a part of Restore Church in that year of 34 baptisms. We've had more since then, but in that year, check this out. In that year, 34 baptisms, the pastor of Restore Church only did 16 of them. More than half of the baptisms done here at Restore Church are by fathers baptizing their children, mothers baptizing their kids, uh, spouses baptizing each other, friends baptizing each other. Y'all, that is the kind of church that I think was happening in the New Testament. That's what it's all about. That's my favorite number we looked at right there. So here, here, real quickly, um, where are you getting your satisfaction? Do this quick survey in your life. Are you giving to the church? Or are you giving to an organization that brings glory to God financially? It doesn't have to be Restored Church. Uh, it can be Philippians Place. It can be the Onslow Community Pregnancy Resource Center. Any of those. Like, we're trying to bring God glory here in the community. And for nonprofits, it's really hard to do that without, without your finances and your giving. I think you've seen what you give to. You give to life change. And so uh, are you given to, to those churches? Are you donating any of your time or is all your time about yourself? Okay. Are you giving time to the community? Um, are you giving uh, attention? What are you talking about at home? Are you talking about people? Or are you talking about how you can help people? Are you, are you talking about God around your dinner table? Or are you just using it as a curse word? Like it's time for us to start getting serious about making disciples. Parents, it starts in your home. Spouses, it starts with each other. Make disciples at your dinner table. Number two, world changers change their world. Make sense? All right, moving right along. Look, does your world look different because you're in it? Or do you look different because you're part of the, that world? So in your workplace, um, are, are, you, are you changing your workplace because you're a part of it? Is your workplace, whether people are Christians or not, is your workplace looking more Christian because you're a part of it? It should be. It should be. If it's not, um, it needs to start. And that starts with you. No one else is going to do it. The Great Commission is for you. Um, you got to love lost people, man. Uh, that's, that's what it's all about for us. Number three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this popped in my head. I got to tell you this. It's not funny. I, so it's all about lost people for us, okay? 100% of what we do is about people who don't know Jesus. Um, a, a friend of mine once asked me, he said, Roger, in your community, so we were building our team, right? We're trying to get ready, launch. We're telling people about, we call it our pre-launch stage. It was, it was September of 2016 to the time we launched, March of 2017. We called it pre-launch stage, and we're getting to know people. And then we, we hit this, like, time where we weren't getting to know lost people. Actually, we weren't getting to know any people. And one of my friends asked me this question. He said, man, how many lost people know your name? And I was like, man, I know a lot of lost people. He said, no, 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 no. You're there to start a church, to change Jacksonville. you got to get into the lives of people. So he said, how many lost people know your name? I'm telling you, everything we do is about lost people. So we start our church, right? And, and we start this kind of new, we've got to be 
like, uh, we, we started this new, different kind of church. We're a church for the rest of us. People don't, you know, that, that's pretty cool, I think. I'm not really cool, so I'm trying to convince you that our church is cool. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, so we, we start, and we get people who are really excited about what we're doing because it was new, right? It was tangible. It was cool. You can put your hands on it. You can set up the speakers. Seriously, you can set up the speakers. Be here at 7 a.m. next Sunday. You can set up the speakers. You can set up all this stuff. You set up children. All oh, this is so cool. This is so cool. Until they realized that they were so Christian that they had to sit down with me and tell me, dude, I'm so worried about you. And I said, why? He said, you're too concerned about lost people. I said, man, I was thinking, man, if Jesus were here, he would put his heel on your Adam's apple. Like, I bet when God heard that, he cried. What do you mean that we're too concerned with lost people? I wish he were here now. I put my heel on his Adam's apple. I, in, a, in a loving way, <laughs> I'd say Jesus wants me to do this for him. And if you don't let me, then you don't love Jesus. Last thing. World changers point to the one who can change the world. All this is for not if we don't believe that God can do it. Seriously, I want you to, to think about this question. Don't answer it right away. I want you to think about this. Um, do you believe that God can change the world? There's a lot of change that needs to happen, am I right? Oh, man, our world's going to hell real quick. Do you believe that God can change it? I, I do. And here's why. Because I'm watching God change the world around me. And I believe that if you and I start to change the world around us, and they start to change the world around them, and they start to change the world around them. You know what that's called? Making disciples. And in no time will we start to begin teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And then when they start to, when people start to fall in love with Jesus, they're like, man, I've just got to, I have got to identify with Jesus in baptism. And then they're going to change the world around them, change the world around them. And before you know it, we're going to change the city of Jacksonville. Here's what's cool. We're going to start making disciples like all over. And what's going to be really awesome is we're going to see the Great Commission carried out because of Restored Church. Because, you know, one of my dreams is that some Marines will fall in love with Jesus. And then they'll get deployed and start a church right where they are for seven or nine months. And when they come back, they're going to be like, dude, I baptized ten people. And then, and then we're going to cry and we're going to be sad when, when, when you get orders to somewhere else. But then when you get there, man, you're, you're going to start church there. For however long you're there, three, four, 79 years. And then, and then you're going to call me and be like, dude, I'm watching my city change. I'm baptizing people. We're going we're gonna to carry out the Great Commission right here, right where we are. And then we're going to watch the world change because... Man, I don't know, maybe we care too much about lost people. Guys, let's not run toward the wrong address. God, we love you. And um, God, forgive us for the times that we make it about ourselves.
God, this is not about anything else but you. Loving you and letting that be an outpouring to love others. And so, God, we pray that you get the glory for what, what happens here. God, we, we pray that, that through Restore Church that we can make you famous again. And so, God, what we're asking you to do here right now is to give us strength and power that comes only from your Holy Spirit to change the, the world that we live in, our, our home first, our, our community, our, our, our work environment, our neighborhood. God, I, I pray that it's, it's something that, that I, we as disciples, as followers of you, will take serious. God, f- forgive us when it's not about you and it's about us. Forgive us when it's about our convenience uh, and our ability and our lack of knowledge or anything else. But God, let, let us lean and trust not on our own, but on your on you, not on our own understanding. God, we love you. Um, let, let us love in, in, in action and in truth. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.